Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Educating Investor Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode, Potential Tax Changes and What It Means for the Market. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on the markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the Biden's proposal for tax changes and what impact it could have on the markets and the economy. The Biden administration has unveiled its corporate tax overhaul, intended to raise $2.5 trillion over 15 years to pay for an infrastructure program. The main points of his corporate tax plan are as followed. Raising the corporate tax rate to 28%, the increase from 21% would put the U.S. more in line with other big countries, and the administration says lift corporate tax receipts that have fallen to their lowest level as a share of the economy since World War II. According to the Tax Foundation, a Washington, D.C.-based think tank founded in 1937 that collects data and publishes research studies on U.S. tax policy at both the federal and state levels, an increase in the federal corporate tax rate to 28% would raise the U.S. federal-state combined tax rate to 32.34%, highest in the OECD and among groups of seven countries, harming U.S. economic competitiveness and increasing the cost of investment in America. So if corporate taxes go up, who ultimately pays? The Biden administration says the greater tax burden would fall largely on high-income shareholders of profitable companies that wouldn't reduce investments even if taxes rose. That view makes the corporate tax a useful tool for redistributing income and taxing people the U.S. individual income tax can't always reach. The other side believes that companies raises prices after tax increases, putting the burden on consumers. Most analysts divide the corporate tax burden between capital and labor, with shareholders paying short-run costs through fewer buybacks, smaller dividends, and lower share prices. Workers would get a long-run hit as companies invest less in equipment, limiting productivity gains and workers' ability to man wage increases. Official estimates from the nonpartisan Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation lead toward the Democratic view assigning 75% of the long-run burden to owners of capital and 25% to workers. Tax Foundation says the split is closer to 50-50. Also, the amount that companies report as taxable income and how much they choose to defer taxes in the future years is a function of the corporate tax rate. As tax rates rise, corporations use discretion built into the tax code to report less taxable income and to defer more taxes to future years. It is for this reason that legislatures around the world overestimate how much additional revenue they will generate when they raise taxes and investors overestimate how much corporate earnings will rise when tax rates are decreased. The next part of Biden's proposal is to ensure big companies pay at least 15% in taxes. A minimum tax on the book income for companies with annual profits of $2 billion or more would mean firms that use deductions, exemptions, and other methods to reduce their liabilities wouldn't be able to go lower than a certain level. According to the Tax Foundation, if this had been in place in recent years, 45 companies would have faced this tax. Next, they want to strengthen the global minimum tax to end profit shifting. This would double the rate on foreign intangible assets introduced by Trump's administration in 2017. The Biden administration also said it will push for a global agreement on common rates to discourage companies from shopping around for tax jurisdictions. Finance ministers from the group of 20 nations hope to agree on a global minimum tax rate by mid-year, but previous efforts have faltered when it came to nailing down the details. Biden's proposal would look to punish companies that headquarters in low-tax countries. A provision in a plan would target inversions 
where American companies merged with a foreign entity in order to move headquarters to a lower tax country. And finally, they would like to beef up the IRS. The agency's enforcement budget has fallen by 25% over the past decade, and the proposal would bolster the budget for experts in complex corporate litigation. So what effect would this proposal have? A Wharton School budget model concluded that the corporate tax rate increase would not meaningfully affect the normal return on investments, but when combined with the proposed minimum tax on book income, business investment would fall somewhat. All told, by 2050, the tax provisions would reduce government debt by more than 11% from the current baseline, but also reduce GDP by 0.5% over that period. So would the proposed gains from the infrastructure plan outweigh the cost of higher corporate taxes? According to a Congressional Budget Office June 2016 report titled The Macroeconomic and Budgetary Effects of Federal Investment, Federal investment delivers only half the economic returns as private sector investment, 5% versus 10%. A dollar of federal spending results in only $0.67 worth of actual investment because state, local, and private sector entities reduce their spending in response to the federal dollar. And federal investment financed by debt or taxes can do more economic harm than good because federal borrowing taxes crowd out private investment. To avoid harming the economy, federal investments should be financed by cuts in other discretionary programs. With regards to taxpayer financing, the CBO determined that if an increase in federal investment was financed by an increase in marginal tax rates, people after tax wages would fall, reducing their incentive to work, and thus reducing labor supply and output. When the Tax Foundation economists modeled a stylized package of infrastructure spending financed by an increase in the corporate tax rate, the result was economic growth would drop. In other words, the economic harm of the corporate rate hike alone was enough to overwhelm the benefits of the new infrastructure spending. According to research done by the Tax Foundation from January of 2021, a raise in the corporate income tax rate to 28% will lead to a 0.8% decrease in GDP, a 0.7% decrease in wage rate, and a loss of 159,000 full-time jobs. The research showed that if it were moved to 25%, that it would lead to a 0.4% decrease in GDP, a 0.4% decrease in the wage rate, and a loss of 84,200 full-time jobs. According to research from the Tax Foundation, a 28% federal corporate income tax rate combined with Biden's proposal to tax long-term capital gains at an ordinary income tax rate of 39.6% for income earned over a million dollars would make the top integrated tax rate on corporate income in the U.S. the highest in the OECD at 62.7%. According to research from Bank of America, Biden's corporate tax plan will lead to a 7% hit to S&P 500 earnings in 2022. According to their research, the tech and health sectors would be most impacted by the change with an estimated 8.9% hit to earnings for those sectors. This hit to tech, consumer discretionary, and industrial earnings could be important with these sectors already trading at higher valuations than the overall market. According to the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Market, the tech sector is trading at 25.1 times forward earnings, the consumer discretionary is trading at 34.8 times forward earnings, and the industrial sector is trading at 25.8 forward earnings. This while the S&P 500 is trading at 21.9 times forward earnings currently. Senator Joe Manchin has stated that the president's proposal needs to be changed and that he wouldn't support a 28% rate. Manchin said he would back a rate of 25%, so the likely number to get approved is probably closer to 25%. So what happens to market returns after corporate taxes are raised? According to research from LPL Research, muted returns a year out are normal, 
but interestingly, stocks have consistently been in the green the three months before the official date of the tax increase, suggesting investors weren't very worried about higher taxes on the horizon. In terms of ordinary income and capital gains rates, the Biden proposal would raise the top 37% rate on wages and other ordinary income to 39.6%. He would also raise the tax rates on capital gains. This proposal calls for a 39.6% top capital gain rate on income over a million, including the extra 3.8% tax Obamacare surcharge on top for a combined rate of 43.4%. The net effect would roughly do double the rate on capital gains for these high earners to 43.4% from the current 23.8%, including the 3.8% Obamacare levy on investment income. It would mean that for the first time, some Americans' capital gains would be taxed at a higher rate than ordinary income, such as wages and salaries, instead of getting favored treatment as it has during most of the U.S. tax history. According to research by LPL Research, only 0.32% of the population makes more than a million a year, so the truth is this won't impact the other 99.68% of the population. More than two-thirds of all U.S. families have some unrealized capital gains, according to the Federal Reserve, but most would be covered by the million-dollar exemption. For families in the top 10%, with a median net worth of $2.6 million, median unrealized gains were 519000 According to a research note published by Goldman Sachs in October of 2020, wealthy households were the biggest sellers of stocks before the last capital gains tax increase in 2013. In the three months prior to that increase, those investors sold 1% of their assets. According to the Federal Reserve's distributional financial account data, the top 1% held $17.79 trillion of equities and mutual funds in the fourth quarter of 2020, so a 1% selling of stock this time would be $178 billion worth. So if the capital gains increase was passed to go into effect in 2022, there could be some additional selling for investors to take advantage of the lower cap gains rate this year. However, this would have minimal impact on stocks over the long term. According to data from UBS, there is a minimal historical correlation between changes in the capital gains tax rate and market returns. In 2013, for example, the S&P 500 gained 30% despite a 9 percentage point increase in the capital gains tax rate. In 1981, the rate fell about 8 percentage points and the S&P 500 fell 10% that year. Goldman Sachs strategists further noted in their October 2020 research note that the median S&P 500 return in the six months following increases in the capital gains tax was just under 15%. Valuations rose 12% on average in the same period, showing investors barely flinched at the minimized return from higher taxes. While there is only a modest impact on the stock market as a whole, momentum stocks usually get hurt before they are levied, they found. That makes sense. Investors logically are more motivated to sell stocks where they would save the most by avoiding higher capital gains taxes. LPL's financial Ryan Dietrich broke down the S&P 500 performance following the four most recent tax hikes in the capital gains rate going back to 1969, with the average return six months out from capital gains tax hike of 2.1% and 4.3% the next 12 months out for the S&P 500. This is based on the last four capital gains tax hikes. The numbers were negative for the capital gains tax hikes of 1969 and 1976, while positive for the most recent capital gains tax hikes of 1987 and 2013. Diedrich noted that the economy was already performing poorly in 1969 and 1976, while it was healthy in 1987 and 2013. 
Diedrich said for now he would side with the strong economy and accommodated Federal Reserve along the market to take tax hikes in stride. According to Greg Valliere, AGF Investments Chief U.S. Policy Strategist, more Senate Democrats reportedly are opposing Biden's proposed cap gain hike, including Mark Warner of Virginia and Bob Menendez of New Jersey, both members of the Tax Writing Finance Committee, likely joining Joe Manchin, the centrist from West Virginia. This could mean that in order for legislation to pass, that the capital gains rate they are proposing could have to be much lower. There are some ways for investors to combat the impact of potential rise in the capital gains tax rate. The first being tax gain harvesting, which is selling winners to lock in lower tax rate today. Some investors may want to consider recognizing a portion of their capital gains before any new tax law goes into effect. This could result in a lower tax bill. Next would be tax loss harvesting. The proposed higher tax rate on income of over a million dollars likely would be levied only on net gains realized. This means investors could sell a losing asset to offset the taxable gains from a profitable investment, known as tax loss harvesting. This could be used to bring the net gain to just below the million dollar limit, which could provide significant tax savings in certain situations. Investors could also look to hold assets longer. For long-term investors, a possible strategy to avoid higher capital gains tax rate is simply not to sell the investments with large built-in gains while tax rates are high. It is possible that even if the current administration changes the capital gains tax rate, some future Congress could change the tax rate back again. And finally, the use of more tax-efficient investments in portfolios could help investors. According to Todd Rosenbluth, Director of ETFs and Mutual Fund Research at CFRA, just three of the 585 equity ETFs offered by iShares Invesco, Schwab, State Street Global Advisors, and Vanguard, and star rated by CFRA, passed along any capital gains to shareholders in 2020 that maintained a position throughout the year. In contrast, many mutual funds passed along some tax burden to shareholders, even those that stayed loyal throughout the year. ETFs are generally more tax efficient than mutual funds. Unlike mutual funds, ETFs generally do not sell securities when investors redeem shares. Most trading takes place in the secondary market with sell orders being crossed with buy orders through the exchange as they are with stocks. Maybe the most important part of this proposal is to get rid of the step up in cost basis. A step up in basis is the readjustment of the value of an appreciated asset for tax purposes upon inheritance. The higher market value of the asset at the time of the inheritance is considered for tax purposes. Under Mr. Biden's proposal, the untaxed gain on investment held at death such as stock, land, or a home would likely be taxed at a top rate of 39.6% above an exemption of $1 million per individual plus $250,000 more for a home. For married couples, the total exemption would be doubled to $2.5 million of gains. Currently, the stuff up saves taxpayers more than $40 billion a year according to the Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation. The provision known as the Tax-Free Step-Up in Basis has been part of the tax code since the Revenue Act of 1921. The capital gains rate change and taxation at death work together. Without the change to the basis rule, the 43.4% tax rate would lose money for the government because it would encourage people to hold assets that they would otherwise sell. Republicans' opposition couldn't make the tax change fragile. If the plan were permanent, asset owners would face a roughly tax-neutral choice pay taxes on a sale now or at death later. But given the political landscape, the choice may be to sell now or hang on until a future Congress changes the rules. Importantly, there is little talk in Washington about making any tax increases passed in 2021 retroactive to the beginning of the year. 
The focus is on forward-looking tax increases that would take effect in January 2022. Strategist Investments Washington team led by Dan Clifton notes that no capital gain increases has been retroactive, that the 1986 Tax Reform Act took effect 68 days after enactment. That means taxpayers are likely to have some time to digest any tax code changes and consider what, if any, strategies are appropriate for their situation prior to any new tax rules going into effect. So if the capital gains increase was to pass to go into effect in 2022, there could be some additional selling for investors to take advantage of the lower cap gains rate this year. This would allow investors to reallocate their portfolio and potentially make use of more tax efficient investments going forward. However, the data shows that increases in the corporate tax rate and capital gains tax rate does not seem to have much impact in the stock market over the long term. If you look at a long-term chart of the S&P 500 over time, markets generally tend to go up, and that is with periods of tax hikes and tax cuts. So selling due to corporate and capital gain tax increases could be an opportunity to add to equities for the long term. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors podcast is host Scott Peterson and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors podcast show.